My wife reminded me of a prayer request that I forgot to mention this morning, and that's for Lee uh, Pollard, Patricia Pollard. And uh, she's uh, got stomach intestinal problems, and it's very painful, and so she asked for prayer. So if you'd put that on your prayer list as well. Um, the uh, passage this morning is James chapter 1. We're going to be reading verses 19 through 27. I know we've covered some of that already, but I want to keep the context together as we read it. And uh, as we approach it, it's uh, the first section of James that we've gone through talked about the testing of our faith, uh, meeting trials of various kinds. Uh, and James says to count it all joy. And just about every commentator that I read, even some of them that were writing in the the 1700s and earlier, wrote and said, what? (laughs) How do we keep joy in the midst of trials and tribulations? I want to make sure you understand. This isn't the plastic smile, you know, hunky-dory on the way to glory type uh, phrase I stole from Stuart Briscoe. Uh, The the idea is, is that we are talking about the counting joy, knowing who our God is, that our God is with us. And in the midst of our tears, we still have a sense of joy in our heart. And I, I, I reference the fact that Jesus, you know, and, and Paul and other places, it it's, talks about the, that we weep together and we laugh together. Well, obviously, weeping together, you would say, That's, that can't be joy. That's not the kind of joy we're talking about. We're talking about a joy that knows, that knows, that knows that God is sovereign, that we have a relationship with Him, that we are His children, and that we have eternal life. And, and that He has intervened on our behalf where we were helplessly, hopelessly lost. So this testing of our faith is, is the reality of living in a fallen world. We can't escape that. And we are housed in fallen flesh. I, you know, we, we, we look at our prayer list, look at the things that we're talking about that, that we're battling and, and as a congregation together, and, and we realize that uh, it's a, it's, there's a lot of trials and tribulations out there. And so in the midst of these, we can count that God in His sovereignty has not abandoned us. He's not missing a step. He isn't moving to plan B. There's only plan A put together before the foundation of the world. And so we can rest with that confidence. That's where our joy is. That's where our joy rests. So as we meet these trials and, and, and various kinds of, of, of tribulations and trials in our life, uh, it produces something in us. As we rest in God and in confidence, it produces a steadfastness. Even though everything would say from the world's perspective, might turn around and say, okay, where's your God now? We can turn around and say, I know He's there. And we stand fast. And we, we, it's like we've drawn a line and we said, we don't go back that way. And as a result, he says, there's a, 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 an end result of this, uh, James talks about, that we have the crown of life. Which I believe is a referencing to ultimately eternal life. We have that to look forward to. We have the confidence of that. In verse 13, he makes it clear that God uh, is not 
the source of temptation. God is the source of everything that is good. Every good gift, every perfect gift comes from Him. And when we see the word perfect there, it means complete in every way. And I I couldn't help but apply that to the number one gift that we've sung about this morning, and that's our salvation. It is complete in every way. It is finished on the cross. And so all of this together, we say, thank you, Lord. Yes, we count it joy. Uh, and and we, we have a confidence in our heart that God, even in the midst of the worst things that happen to us, God has not abandoned us. He's there. He's carrying us. In fact, we have that picture in our mind, at least I do, of the picture of the footprints in the sand where it goes from two to one. And we say, where were you, Lord? And he says, oh, I was carrying you. <laughs> you know, that, that, that confidence that he's there. So that brings us to where we are today. Uh, starting with verse 19, I'm going to read through to the end of chapter, uh, the end of chapter 1. So, uh, James chapter 1, verse 19. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But the doers of the word and not the hearers only, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being uh, no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is, a re- is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, his pers- uh, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. There's three sections in this, this passage here from 19, verse 19 to uh, verse 27. And uh, we'll look at uh, uh, we'll look at that in just a minute. Let's have a word of prayer as we go. Father, we come to you this morning as we've opened your word together. We ask, Lord, that through your Holy Spirit you would open our minds, cause us to hear the words that we need to hear. Each of us, where our walk is right now, to assist us on on drawing closer to you, being stronger in you. And Lord, we ask that you would continue to give us the strength through your Holy Spirit, to persevere and to be a testimony and a witness where you place us this week, whether it's work or, or amongst family or neighbors, wherever it is that you place us, that we can be a testimony through our actions and that's given the opportunity through our words. We worship you, we praise you, and we thank you that we have your God-breathed word to lead us and to guide us. In Jesus' name. Like I said, this is three sections in this uh, passage here. Uh, the first one is verses 19 through 21, and Alan preached on that last week. 
And uh, just a, a, a very quick review, it says, you know, quick to hear. And the idea of, of hear there is to listen. I don't know about you. Well, I do. But <laughs> because we're all the same. We all have the same nature in this sense. We, we, as we go to speak to someone, as, uh, you know, we we're told to listen. Be quick to listen before you speak. And, and to listen is to be able to hear what really is the need. But people, as they speak, they say a particular word or a particular phrase. I call them trigger words. And this was something my, my dad taught me. He was a public speaker and communicator, and he was extremely accomplished at it. And, and he would say, to listen is to get past that. In other words, as soon as that trigger word comes along, you're now phrasing in your mind what you want to say, and you don't hear anything else. All you're doing is waiting for your turn to talk back to that point where the real thing that needs to be addressed might not have yet been said. So quick to listen is to pay attention to what people are saying around you. And paying attention to this idea of quick to listen is bigger than just words. It's observation. Sometimes there's a lot said in just what people are, how they're reacting to a situation. And so... Quick to observe. Quick to listen. Pay attention to what's going on around you. Don't assume that you know based on the first few words that somebody says or based on what you think you know about a situation what the need is at that moment. Be quick to listen. Slow to speak obviously follows that. In other words, listen before you speak. And if if we're you know more prone to doing the things the way I do it, it's Put your foot in your mouth and then, oh, I better listen. <laughs> you know, uh, it's, it's quick to, 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 to hear or to listen, slow to speak. And then it says slow to anger because anger doesn't glorify God. This slow to anger and this is quick to hear, quick to speak, slow to anger. All of it is the opposite of self-centeredness. In other words... To be others-oriented is to put this into practice. And you, you're probably tired of hearing this, but it's God first. The other man is second. I'm third. And I learned that, phrase, that saying long before I was a Christian at a, at, a, a Christian YM, at a Christian camp that I went to as a little kid. I, I don't know if we still have it someplace, that little carved thing that says I'm third, one of those little handmade plastic lanyards to hang it on, you know. And I had not, I really didn't have a clue as to what that meant. But it has stuck with me. We are to be seeking the righteousness of God also. In verse 20 it says we're to be seeking the righteousness of God. How do we determine what the righteousness of God is, by the way? I am asking it. That's not a rhetorical. Yeah. So I heard somebody tap his Bible and somebody's lifting up their Bible. We'll go to God's Word. That's where we find out His righteousness. That's where we find out who He is. How, how we come to the conclusion of something extremely important. God is holy. God is holy. He is righteous. He is just. 
Nothing that he does is incorrect. He doesn't miss a beat. And then the instruction for us is to put away all filthiness and and, and wickedness. And to receive the implanted Word of God, which is able to save your souls. I think of Jeremiah chapter 31 where it says, you know, it's in our hearts. He's going to place it in our hearts. It's not just something that we read, but it's something that's implanted, takes root in our hearts. The, the, this put away all faithful uh, filthiness and wickedness and then receive the implanted Word of God reminds me of the thought of Paul where the number of times where there's Ephesians, Colossians, and other places, put off and then put on. He tells us what to put off in the sense of, in the sense of worldliness and, and, and fleshly desires and lusts and what to put on in its place. By the way, and, and, and just a side note, Keep this in mind. God doesn't just tell us to put something off. He tells us to put on. In other words, if we don't do the put on, the chances are what we put off is going to come back and haunt us. Put something in its place that takes its place of God. Something of God. And that brings us to where I want to focus this morning, verses 22 through 25. This idea of being doers of the Word. If the Word is implanted in our hearts, and I'm using the word if more like Paul uses it, since, but as a believer, since since the Word is implanted in our hearts, then there is going to be a result. And the result is going to be doing it. So if the Word is implanted, then doing is the result. Acting it out, putting it into practice is the result. James is pretty clear about it. If there's not results, there's a big question mark as to whether it's implanted. It's harsh for some people to hear, but the reality is, if God is in you, you are going to be different than you were before. You are not going to be the same person. It might not be something that, you know, and we've got to be careful we don't look at, at someone who's been walking with the Lord for 30, 40, 50 years and, and see the, all the victories that they've had and think, you know, oh, I must not measure up, you know, because I'm a brand new Christian. And I, you know, but the other side of it is, and we better be careful, those of us who have been walking 30, 40 years with the Lord, not measure other people brand new in the fact and say they might not be saved because they're not measuring up. The idea is, is, is that there is a, a, a change coming about. There's a new creature created. But Paul uses some words that are extremely important to us to understand. He uses the word babe. We are babies, immature, when we first come to the Lord. And we are in the process of maturing, growing up in the Lord. How long is that going to happen? As long as we are in this fallen flesh, we are going to be in the process of growing in the Lord. And I really believe because of the nature of God and the fact that He's eternal, I kind of think of some things that Randy Alcorn has written about heaven and stuff, is that it, the process doesn't stop here in the sense of being in awe of who God is and, and seeing freshness and newness of, of who He is for the rest of eternity. 
And then you can think, no wonder they keep praising him every time they look at him. They say something fresh and, and new and vibrant about who he is. Because he is eternal. He has no beginning. He has no end. We have a beginning. We're going to spend eternity knowing and, and, and growing in him. I really believe that. If the Word is implanted in us, we are going to be a changing, different people. And, and he mentions in, in, in verses 22 through, 22 through 25, two kinds of people. People who hear the Word of God and people who uh, hear the Word of God and act on it or to do it. In other words, there are people, that, both groups are hearing the Word of God. One group is acting on it. So it starts out, look at the one who's uh, in verse 22. We're looking at the one who is a hearer. It says, but uh, be, be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Hearers only, deceiving themselves. The idea of deceiving themselves is, is to... Basically, the way James is putting it here is to count yourself all right before the throne of God. I must be okay. I, I read it. I heard it. I went to church on Sunday and listened to it. I, 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 you know, I'm okay. Now, I'm cautious as to how I say that, you know, but, but the bottom line is sitting in church does not make you a Christian. A supernatural event has to happen. The supernatural event is the surrender of your soul to God and the indwelling and infilling of the Holy Spirit. The recognition, the confessing with your mouth that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and believing it in your heart. So the hearing isn't sufficient by itself. If the hearing comes and it doesn't bring about a change, then... It's only hearing for the sake of, of, of hearing. And I, uh, I can recall having to take a class when I was in, in, in college, uh, and, and it was a, a secular college, Cal Poly in San Luis Obispo, and, and taking a class on religion. And there was a local pastor who was teaching the class. However, he started right off with the understanding that the resurrection of Christ was, is a story and that the only thing that was resurrected was his teaching. Okay, so that's where he started with it, and 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 so there was this idea that he you know he didn't it, and and as we went through it, you could see that you know he was very into we need to reach out and help people and 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 people call that the social gospel, in other words, uh, you see I've changed I want to reach out and minister to people and help people you know and do all of this, but there's nothing in the heart that is new. There's no understanding. That what it says about Christ, we, we look at those, the Scripture and we see more legend and myth than we see truth when you have that kind of a, uh, an attitude. And that's the way he approached it. The bulk of, of he, he, it was almost like, you know, looking at, at the legends surrounding uh, Davy Crockett or Daniel Boone and all the stories. Did, did Davy Crockett really kill a bear when he was only three? Well, it depends on whether 
Dan, whether it was Dan, uh, Davy Crockett that was three or the bear was three. Uh, you know, he might have killed, killed a three-year-old bear. I don't know. Um, the, the idea is we have all these stories and folklore, and, and, and what, there's, what, what the, the liberal picture of the Scripture is, is uh, it's good for teaching. It's good for, for basic understanding of, of good principles to live by. And Jesus was a, quote-unquote, good teacher. But he was just a man. So that's people who hear the word, but it's not really creating the new person. It's not entered into the heart. It's not implanted in the heart in such a way that they start to see the scripture come alive. And as they read it, I mean, the, the, I'd read scripture before I was a believer. But when I started to, when, when God started working on me, even before I actually confessed him, I remember reading through the, the Gospel of John. And, I, and I, I was challenged to do this, so I sat down and read the whole Gospel of John. I wasn't challenged to, to look at it as the what was very popular in the 70s, the love gospel, the gospel of the love of God. But to read it with the understanding that John was writing, and John believed it, which I had never... You know, I never thought about approaching it that way. And when I read it that way, I, I was, you know, I, I realized, you know, he, I think he really believes this. And the intensity with which he put it together. And, and realizing when you get to the conclusion of the book that he's saying, I've picked out certain things because there wasn't room to write it all. And I, I'm thinking, okay, so that's why certain things he says may not be in the other ones. Because I had always heard that argument. They're not consistent with each other. And so I went back and read uh, Luke. And then I read Mark. Then I read Matthew. I don't know why I read them out of order. but And that uh, it was a, a, a transition going on. God was opening my eyes. And for the first time in my life, I was seeing Scripture with the aid of of the Holy Spirit. It took me a year and a half. I can't tell you at what point salvation actually enters into the picture versus, but all I know is, is that that year and a half God was working on me and providing people to answer questions. And the end result was a confession of faith. So, and, and it was a change. People in my family said, they, they looked at me and, 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 and realized there's something different about him. So, to be a person who hears the Word, or are you a person who hears the Word and acts on it? And the idea of acting on it is that point where it leads us into salvation and, and, and understanding, to the point where we can confidently look at this and, and stand with Paul as he writes to Timothy and say, it's God-breathed. And, and not have a problem with that. God-breathed. Inspired by, by God. He put it together. This is what he wants us to know about it. Hearer only is deceiving himself if he thinks he's, he's alright with the Lord. Or he just walks away and, 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 and like I might have done, I'd heard the word many times. I, my grandparents were Christians. I had other Christians in the family, aunts and uncles and 
stuff, and I went to church with them occasionally, and I uh, went to church with my grandmother, uh, you know, so I, I had heard the word growing up. But I walked away, and my attitude was, if there is a heaven, I'm not any worse than anyone else. That's a deception. I'm deceiving myself when I say that. Because it has nothing to do with anybody else. It only has to do with me. And the reaction, the reality is, did I have sin in my life? Well, yeah. But not any worse than anybody else. In fact, I wasn't as bad as a lot of people. So, you know, if there's a heaven, I got as good a chance as anybody. And that was pretty much the way I looked at it. I was deceiving myself. But verse 23, it says, looks, you know, this guy looks intently in a mirror at his natural face. Now, I want you to understand, he does look intently, meaning as he's hearing the word of God, he actually hears and sees possibilities of himself as what is being heard like a sinner, say a sinner. But he's looking in the mirror. The mirror is the word of God. It's being preached. He's hearing it. He's looking at it. And he's saying, yeah, if, if, if that's the truth, I don't measure up. <laughs> but as soon as he's released from it, as soon as he walks away from it, it's out of his mind. And he, goes, and he doesn't see clearly anymore. So he might hear it. He might even be convicted while he sits there. In the sense of, of saying, wow, yeah, I, I, maybe there's some things I could change in my life. But then he gets, as soon as he's away from it, he's back to the routine. And, oh, well, you know, got to do business the way the world does it or you can't make it. Got to do this the way this works or you can't make it. And you go back to your regular way of doing life. And you don't interact with God again until the next time you're confronted by his word in some way or another. And maybe it's at a funeral. Maybe it's at a, a wedding. Maybe it's <laughs> who knows where it's at. And, in your, and, and, and then you walk away and you're not looking. You forget about it again. Forgetting what he's like. And remember, this is what self-deception is about. I'm okay. Therefore, I don't need that. We see our image, in a sense, using worldly standards. And it's so easy. You can always find somebody who's worse than you are. So, so the mirror is God's Word. It reveals the natural, the true, the real nature. And, and, and God's Word is the standard, it's the ideal. And so I, I put it here in my notes, I'm pretty good. I don't murder. I haven't committed adultery. Oh, but then there's Matthew chapter 5. It says, if I was angry at somebody, I've committed murder. If I lusted after something, and that can be pornography, it can be all sorts of things, I have committed adultery. Well, that's just too strict. That's too ridiculous. And then we go back to deceiving ourselves. can't be true. You know, it convicted me for a minute, got my attention, 
but I don't want to have anything to do with it. And I ignore it. Or, <laughs> which I, I'm good at even as from a believer's point of view, that applies to George, but not me. <laughs> Somebody says, why do I use George? Because if, if there's anybody in here who has a, a name George, but, and most of you I know and have met, so it, it might be a middle name. Please forgive me. It's just, it's just, it's the one I use: George and Georgette. And 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 you know, the idea is that I, I look and I just say, uh, you know, this, you know, I can look at, at a situation. I can be on the news. I can I can know of, of convicted felons and murderers, and I can say that's what a murderer is. That's not me. Self-deception. One person put it is the person that this fits is the person who actually goes to church uh, but then just goes back you know, Sunday afternoon and becomes his regular self. Monday, work and everything's the same and nothing's changed. He called him a sermon taster. I had never heard that phrase, so I thought I'd pass it on. Uh, the, uh, the doer of the Word is the one who, you know, that hears and responds to the Word Remember, this is because the Word is now implanted. It is in his heart. It's rooting. It's not the same as the person who just hears it in one ear, so to speak, and out the other. It's gone kind of like in, and and it's planted. And it's rooting. So he doesn't find himself looking at the mirror the word, and and having a quick check and saying, uh, "I'm not so bad," and walking on, he looks at it and it convicts him, and he turns around and says, "Oh, there's something different about this than I ever saw before." And the Holy Spirit begins to work. As it's taking root, it takes change, and there's a thing called the fruit of the Spirit. Now, when you go to Galatians chapter five. Uh, and it talks about the fruit of the Spirit. It starts out, the fruit of the Spirit is love, patience, kindness. Okay, there, and it has a listing of nine things. I believe love is the fruit of the Spirit manifested in eight ways. But other people can, yeah, it doesn't matter, it's all still fruit. You know, the love is, is defined by your patience, your kindness, your gentleness, and, and the way you act, you know, and put it into effect. But it doesn't matter. Either way, it's the fruit of the Spirit. It's something that starts to yield. It starts to change the way you are around other people. In your home, at your work. To the point where at some time, someone might even come up and say, what's going on? And even at that point, Peter says, be ready. At that point, to share what is going on in your life. Instead of, of, of looking at the Word and, as, and, 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 and walking away and saying, nah, I'm not so bad, you know, he looks into it and he sees the perfect law, the law of liberty. Now, it's this idea is, one is he looks at a mirror, you know, okay, this looking into the, the, the law here of, is, is actually the idea of, of concentrating, looking into the, the law of liberty. The word liberty here is, is, is also the word freedom. The law of freedom. He hears and reacts. What is it that frees us? The gospel. 
the good news. He hears and reacts to the gospel, the good news. He sees what God requires as he looks in. Be holy, for I am holy. And he truly sees himself for the first time. And all of a sudden, the word sinner has a whole new meaning. And it becomes a very personal. I have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I am not holy. I know what holy is in a very vague sense, and it's telling me to be holy, and I know I'm not. And the more I study the Word, the more I understand the purity of what holy is, and the more distance there is between me and and that Word, in the sense of completeness. And I see myself as I really am. By the way, that would automatically, in a sense, take us to the back of the bulletin. I make reference to this periodically. The Roman road is on the back of our bulletin. We come to that conclusion, Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And we come to the understanding as we look deeply into this gospel. For the wages of sin is death. Verse 8 of of Romans chapter 5 says, But God shows His love for us that while we were yet sinners, or while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Go back to verse 23 of chapter 6. The free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That belongs to us if. Romans 10, 9 through 10. We confess with our mouth that Jesus is the Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. What I come to understand and what you start to see and, 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 and you hear now as teachers teach and preachers preach, and, and, and maybe you're, you're even you know, reading a magazine article and, and your mind keeps getting redirected to Christian literature and Christian things, and the next thing you know, somebody... Uh, hands you a Christian book or something and you read it and, and more and more conviction comes along. God is just working constantly to bring it about. And, and, and you, the idea is, is that you come to that conclusion, I need a Savior. I am helplessly, I've already used this phrase, but helplessly, hopelessly lost. That's what happens when you look into the law of liberty. You look into it seriously, you have to come to the conclusion, I can't get there from here. And you can't get me there. My grandmother can't get me there. My grandmother was a a devout Christian woman. No ands, ifs, or buts about it in my mind of of who she is, who she was, and where she is now. Uh, You know, know, I can't get there by her faith. It has to be mine. There has to be the word planted in my, implanted in me, and growing. As this happens, it brings about a sense of perseverance. We persevere, and the idea of to persevere here is interesting to me because I, I, I read a whole thing on this, and it's not the dictionary definition. The idea of persevering is the idea of going against the grain. And, and it, that, that's why it caught my attention. I work with wood. I like, you know, I do a lot of things with wood. When you go against the grain, you know, you're, you're going the wrong way, basically. 
but it's also the hardest way. And, and, it's, and it says you're going against the grain of the world when you persevere in Christ. It's not the easy path, in other words. A doer who acts is one who perseveres. And it says he will be blessed in his doing. We read from Psalm 1 this morning. I don't know because it was the first Psalm I read or because of its nature, but it's my favorite Psalm. That and Psalm 40 are my go-to Psalm. And this one is, Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of scoffers. This idea of walks not in the counsel of the wicked means he doesn't walk in the counsel of the world. That's where wicked counsel comes from. He doesn't look to the world for his counsel as to how to, to live his life. Because if he does, he would sit with the seat of scoffers. I know, because when I walked in the world, I scoffed at Christ. Instead of walking to, you know, standing in the way of sinners and sitting in the seat of scoffers, his delight is in the law of the Lord. And he meditates on it day and night. His grace, his glory, his justice, his righteousness become things that we look at and meditate and think about. And then. He is like a tree. And I, I, I say this to, in a sense. I've used this with young people in, at, at a camp one time as a theme for a, a kid's camp. And I said, who wants to be a tree? <laughs> they didn't understand at the beginning, but by the end, everybody wanted to be a tree because this tree has got something unique going on. We are planted by streams of water, and the streams of water are canals, it's the, the word for streams here is, has to do with the man-made access to water, okay? Except in this case, it's what? God-made. We're sitting by God's stream, His canal. He, His water is watering us. Planted by streams of water that yields its fruit, love, patience, kindness, in its season and its leaf does not wither, and in all that he does prospers. And it doesn't mean that all that he wants he gets. It means that everything that he does according to the will of God becomes successful. It accomplishes God's purpose. In other words, when we start to yield to God and it's word implanted in us and we start to follow after him and desire his things to be done, we start to seek to do the things that he would have us do. We become prosperous in his work. Too many people have misinterpreted that to think, well, I, you know, I get all of this stuff. It has nothing to do with stuff. Does that mean God does bless some people with stuff? No, that's a, but it ha, this, this has to do with prospering within the framework of the work of God's kingdom. So to be a tree planted in, by his, in his garden, so to speak, tra- you know, boom, boom, planted in his garden. That word of God planted in us causes us to be planted in His garden. 
So as we look into this perfect law of liberty, we start to hear and we begin to react. We truly see ourselves for who we are, begin to persevere. One of the things that happens is God rooting this word in our lives. Psalm 1, verse first three verses become like a reality to us. Now, that's where my message is supposed to stop this morning. Verses 26 and 27 come next week. Okay? But I still have to look a little bit more here as we approach communion in the sense of this liberty and freedom. Freedom to be what we were created to be. What God wants us to be. His children, His heirs, His followers, His trees. (laughs) You know, you, you looked into the law of liberty, the gospel, and, and this is how I put it. I saw God as holy. And no one else is holy but Him. I saw myself, again, as helplessly, hopelessly lost. I cried out. saw Christ. I started to put clearly for the first time, but my vision of Christ continues to grow, so I can't know that I can say I saw Him clearly, but I saw Him and understood to an extent of who He is and what He had done. And I received Christ as my Savior, King of kings, Lord of lords. The only way of deliverance from the penalty of my sin was through Christ. There is no other name under heaven by one that man could be saved. Now I'm judged. According to James chapter 2, verse 12, I'm judged by the law of liberty. I, I just look at that. I, I just, uh, I, 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 I'm amazed. Says in verse 12, so speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. The judge of the law of liberty is where we are free in Christ. If we accept the law of liberty, we accept Christ, we are now judged by that. And therefore, the words, it is finished on the cross, covered me. It's complete. Lacking nothing. Done. As we share in communion this morning, keep that in mind. But the idea of communion is is multifaceted. One is to celebrate what Christ has done. But it's also to celebrate what Christ is doing today. Which means as we come to the communion we should be coming with the idea of desiring to have clean hearts before God. And so we confess our sins. We don't have to stand up and confess our sins one to another, this type of thing. But to be in prayer as we prepare to take communion, confess our sins. Knowing that as we do, He is 
going to forgive us of our sins. It says that he, he does this completely and restores us completely. And Scripture tells us very clearly that Jesus, as He shared communion with Him, He says, I won't do this again until we are together in the kingdom. And so we look ahead to a second coming with communion. And also just the reality of growing. Every time we share in communion from week to week, the idea of, 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 of having grown in Christ should be real. No matter how long we've been walking with Him. And so the desire in our heart as we share in communion should be to approach it with the idea, Lord, create in me a clean heart that seeks after You. I'd ask the ushers to come, pass the communion out, Hold it until we've all been served and we'll share together.